From financial tips for high school graduates and college students to exploring the retirement hustle of a 74-year-old stand-up comic, today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA have got a little something for finance nerds of all ages. Plus, the fellows discuss whether rental real estate owners can use the qualified business income deduction, and they've got a little more on last week's discussion of creditor protection for your self-employed retirement plan. But first, 13 years ago at the age of 61, Gid Poole took a stand-up comedy class. Since then, he has created a successful retirement hustle, traveling the U.S. and more than 50 countries as a stand-up comic, inspirational speaker, and the author of Act Two and Beyond, making the rest of your life spectacular. He's been covered in the Wall Street Journal and on the Today Show. As a matter of fact, Jane Pauley even said that Gid Poole could be the Pied Piper of the baby boomer generation. Here's a taste. My son calls me one day and says, Hey, Dad, we were wondering, do you have a living will? <laughs> Why? We want to know what to do if you're plugging the life support. I don't know, unplug me, plug me back in, see if that works. <laughs> reboot, 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 reboot. And then he says the dumbest thing. He says, well, what we really want to know is what to do with the money that's left over. <laughs> I got a living well for that. While I'm living, I will spend it. <laughs> I went over to a girl in the gym the other day. I said, sweetheart, help me out here. Of all the machines in this room, which one could I use that would most impress these young women? She said, sir, in your case, I would suggest the ATM. That was uh, pretty good stuff, my friend. How's it going? Uh, I'm in Florida. I'm above ground. That qualifies. Wow, Gid, so you've done a lot of things. I think from selling vacuums to being a financial pl- now you're a comedian. So second career, third career, fifth career in retirement? Uh, fourth or fifth. Uh, when, when Jane Pauley interviewed me for the Today Show for a piece that the AARP, AARP scheduled, she asked me about my career, and I said, well, it's probably more like a road show. You know, a little bit of everything. Right. It's like going to a carnival. you got the little tents on the side. What do you want to do today? You know. But uh, I've actually been a, a financial planner, which is weird. I don't know that people were really intelligent enough to understand what they were getting themselves into. But no, I did that for a while. I worked for the Army. I sold vacuum cleaners, uh, boats, insurance, everything except aluminum siding, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to your early 60s and you decide, you know what, I would love to be a comedian. How, how did you even come up with that thought? Well, uh, my wife actually worked, I'd been a class clown all my life, but my wife actually worked at a high school where the principal was taking a comedy class at a local comedy club, and we got invited to his uh, graduation show. So we went, and at the end of the show, the owner comes out and says, we've got another class starting in a couple of weeks, so I signed up for it with just the intent of trying it, because, you know, be on stage, hear him laugh, ha-ha, and all that. And then I started working at it, and the next thing I know, I'm getting booked and getting little checks. And wow, you know, and that was 13 years ago, and now I'm working as much as I want to work. So if I get this right, you started what at IDS, American Express, where a financial advisor. And then did you basically retire from the business and said, hey, you know what, I'm bored. I'm kind of now in my 60s. I want uh, you know, a challenge. Because what we see, and as being a, a financial advisor, as people approach retirement, they still need to find that purpose. And yours was, hey, you know what, I, I want to entertain the world and start being a stand-up comic? Well, I was with IDS when American Express bought them. And uh, they changed the model a little bit, and I, I thought, nah, that's not what I want to do. 
So I moved on. I uh, became chief of command information for the Department of the Army in Washington, D.C., which was the public affairs branch. But when I got down here into Florida, I was in real estate. And that's when I decided at age 61 that I wanted to go do comedy. And one of the things that and, and I've got a book called Act Two and Beyond, Making the Rest of Your Life Spectacular. One of the things that I began to realize that at 61, I had probably 20 or so years, in, you know, all things equal to fill with something. And I remember my grandparents when they were 65, back when I was in, my, in, in 1950-ish, they were beat up. They, you know, they, people didn't live that long back then. You know, the world had <laughs> beaten them up. up. <laughs> Medical care wasn't that good, you know. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do something, I might as well have fun at it. Yeah, so, so tell us what that's like to be in front of a crowd. And uh, I, I assume sometimes you get lots of laughs. It feels great. Other times you bomb, and it's like, what am I doing this for? Okay, now, I'm, I, there's no humility in this. <laughs> There, there should be. There should be. Okay, but uh, and any, I think most comedians will tell you this: that if you go long enough, you'll get to the point where you realize if it's not going well, there's a reason for it. But see, I don't do many comedy clubs. I do mostly uh, country clubs, uh, retirement communities, cruise ships, and stuff like that. So those crowds are much, much easier than comedy club crowds because they appreciate the comedy more. Right. So the bombing thing really is not, you know. I don't care. That's what I'm telling you. If well, you don't we, like it, I know what you paid to get in here, and you got in free, so shut up. Yeah, that's that's a good attitude. I mean, we we do a radio show every week. We bomb all the time, so we're very familiar with that feeling. But so that hasn't really happened to you. I, I mean, not now. I mean, to be honest about it. It happened when I was coming up. There yeah. were times when I was on stage, and I forget what I was supposed to say. Right. Which is really a nice little pressure point there. Like, okay, so what do you people want to talk about? <laughs> So tell me about the uh, so the performing on cruise ships. So it sounds like that's a great way to get your travel paid for. Well, yeah, in in the cruise industry, it's called enrichment speakers. Cruise lines will put people on to speak on sea days to give the passengers something to do. And I've been doing that on celebrity cruises for about ten years. I talk obviously about comedy. I do a history of comedy. I do a whole thing on Robin Williams. Uh, I talked to a friend of his family right after he committed suicide and got some really good insight into you know, what was going on with him and all of that, a Lucille Ball, some stuff like that. I do the act to and beyond for people to help them find out what they want to do next in their life. And I do an improv workshop for the passengers who, who can actually try improv comedy. With the book that you wrote is like, all right, well, here, let's continue to live a spectacular life. What are some of the tips, I guess? I mean, everyone's not going to be a stand-up comic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, no. and, and being able to travel for free and do the things that they're really passionate about. What are other steps that people can potentially make to kind of live that spectacular life that you're living? Well, here, Okay, and this is very key, and I, and I tell people this all the time. I don't call it motivational speaking because I don't like motivational speaking because that wears off at the time you get to the car. But I call it inspirational. When I say act two and beyond and all that, it's not some, it could be something small. I have a gentleman in Sarasota, Florida, who saw me on a cruise ship, and he came up after my presentation. He said, you know, I've always wanted to do, have a rose garden, you know, where they'll take two different kinds of roses and splice them together and put duct tape around them or something, you know, and then they grow a third kind of rose. And now he has this massive rose garden behind his house in Sarasota where he does that. So it doesn't have to be something really, really big. One of the things that, that I always hear from people when I do my Act 2 thing is like, geez, I wish I had thought about that. Right. And the Act 2 thing came from the fact I went to a little community theater years ago with a guy when I worked in Washington. It was a little community two-act thing, and I, I was ready to leave after 10 minutes because it was awful. 
And I said, well, you know, can't leave the little theater about see me. So intermission, I said to him, you know, we need to go. He said, ah. I said, why? He said, because never leave before the second act, because that's when the good stuff happens. Ah. <laughs> so there, there you go. go. Act two. That's right. See, here's, okay, here's the problem with getting old, okay? And you guys aren't even near that yet. I got socks older than both of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, there are several things that older people get good at as we age, okay? We corner the market. We're good at being the martyr. Okay. No, we are. Oh, well, yeah, you go ahead and take the last piece of cake. I don't really want, you know, we're good at being the victim. We've got that corner. Well, yeah. And we're good at being the loser. Well, if I could, I would, but I can't. We're good at acting stupid. All right. We're good at being the weak person. We've got that cornered. I mean, I get all over some of my friends who don't travel because, well, my grandkids are in Cleveland and I've got to go up for their birthday. They don't care. <laughs> they don't. You know, spend their inheritance. Right. <laughs> but I tell people, it doesn't have something small. I, uh, now, I have a big one. I have a lady in England who saw me and was working for the equivalent of the IRS and went home and said, I've always wanted to be a life coach. And she found a guy that trained her and now she started doing that. So sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. The key is, whatever it is you want to do, you go do it. It needs to be something that you, you don't want to go to bed because you want to keep doing it, and you can't wait to get up because you want to start doing it. So is that, uh, now after doing this a number of years, is that still how you feel? You can hardly wait, wait to get on stage? I, I, I've got, I had, uh, last weekend I had four shows in Vero Beach, Florida. I had a show uh, two nights ago in, in, near here, and I've got a show uh, this weekend over on the east coast of Florida. And I, I'm like I'm like the horse in the starting gate. I can't wait to get out and do it. <laughs> That's great. I really can. So for someone that would like to follow, say in your footsteps, I assume there's not a ton of money in comedy. But how does this work? You get paid a little bit, but then maybe you get some of your travel covered. The kicker is this: uh, comedy pays what you want it to pay. And here's what I mean by that. Like I said, I don't do I really don't do comedy clubs because there's no money in that. But the country clubs and places like that, that's where the money is. And if you work it like it's a business, then you can make a lot of money. What I do, and you guys will understand this, because it's, it's still a job for me. It's not a hobby. It's a job. And everything I do fits it being a job. There are a lot of uh, IRS rules that allow me to take deductions that help me save on my taxes. Uh, as an example, when I go up to Kentucky during the, uh, the summer, I will book two or three shows on the way up there. <laughs> there's, there's another ad. Yeah, yeah, there's a booking agent. I'll book two or three shows on the way up there and then two or three shows on the way back. So it literally is a comedy run, but I get to deduct the mileage and the food and all and the lodging and all that. So you that's uh, that's near and dear to my heart. Tax deductions. Like it. Well, I have a, I have a friend, uh, and his position is you take what deductions you think you're entitled to and let them tell you you can't. Yes. Yeah. Ask for forgiveness, not don't, permission. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't do their job for them. Right. And we're making money at it, but we're more importantly, it gives me a sense of doing something decent and having a good time. So you're you're married, right? Right. So does your wife enjoy tagging along on all these things? Yeah. It, it's interesting because she's this is, she's a guy. She was a retired guidance counselor. God knows that fits for me. Uh, but <laughs> now she goes. Uh, what will happen? is I'll give her my set list and she will sit in the back of the room and make notes as I go through my comedy. So if something doesn't work, there'll be a little, I didn't do this or I did that or something like that. But what's amazing is she still laughs at it, which is stupid because she knows everything. <laughs> 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 
I think it's one of those little things. Just humor him. It's his little skit. Right. <laughs> and tell me about the, your process. Is your act basically life experiences of everything that you've encountered Absolute. in life, or is uh, or how, no, how, how do you write your acts? Okay, it's all life experience. See, here's there are two kinds of comedy in my view. There is real life things that everything you talk about could have happened, and then there's the silly stuff that you nah, you know it's funny, but it, but you know. So I tend to go with the real life stuff, okay? And what happens, boy, I can look at it and I see it hit. I see the mother or the wife poking the, the husband or the husband poking the wife and, and all that stuff. It's just all things they've gone through. You know, I, do, I talk a lot about uh, kids today not being educated because machines do everything. Technology does everything for them. You know, and I grew up in, in Kentucky and we didn't have money for technology because the school was so poor. How poor was it? that the sex education classes and the driver's education classes were held in the same car. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, so I talk about that stuff. You know, I talk about our, our toys not having warning labels on, you know, and because our parents knew they didn't kill us, they'd make us stronger. Right. I mean, it's just, just everything. You know, I talk about women and those darn pillows they put on the beds. All those pillows they just stay, you know. <laughs> I know. And, and, and it's like, yeah. One lady said to me, you look like you were inside my house talking about that stuff. I found this out. I found that if you go into that guest bathroom and wash your hands, you'll start a fight because you drive on those show towels. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You've got dishes you can't use, cups you can't drink out of, you got towels you can't use. Can't use, absolutely. You know, I, I one of the things I talk about is in, when I was in high school, I had to take shop. And I learned to take a pegboard and put it on the wall and put the tools on it to, to store them. And my wife came into the garage not too long ago, and she was headed over. I said, what do you need? She goes, I need a hammer. And just as she reached for a hammer, I said, you can't have that hammer. That's a show hammer. (laughs) That didn't go over well, I'm sure. No, it did not. She did not laugh nearly as hard. (laughs) But it's it's the whole process. I I have a whole bit, and I don't have time to do it now, but my neighbor comes over. They come over, and Pat will start telling a story. But it never goes right to the point of the story. It sort of deviates. You know, and then and then she's talking about something else, and then and then finally her husband will say, "Get to the point." Well, I wrote wrote a whole thing about that, and there's not a punchline in it, but when people relive that, they start laughing because they've been they've been subjected to it. You know, laughter makes you young. Um, so I would imagine that you're going to continue to do this for the what the next twenty some odd years. Well, I told uh, I told Jane Pauley, I said I'm going to do it till I can't remember what to say. <laughs> That's great. Well, think about it. Seriously. Uh, comedians, George Burns, 100 years old, still doing comedy when, before he passed. You know, it, it keeps your mind active. See, this is the thing I try to tell people. I don't care what you want to do when you get older, but pick something because that keeps your brain engaged. You know, I told a guy one day, let me ask you a question. I said, you got investments? Yeah, I got investments. I said, do you check them on, check on them regularly? He goes, yeah. I said, why? Well, I want to know what's going on. So I said, why don't you have your brain doing the same thing? Why aren't you doing something to keep you checking into the world on a regular basis to keep your brain active? You know, he said, well, I never thought about that. I said, well, that's my job. <laughs> that's good advice. Well, what are some final tips that you can give our listeners on how to kind of transition to that next stage? Okay, a couple of things. Number one, don't be afraid of doing something and it not working. Just go try stuff. Secondly, don't go out and tell everybody what you're going to do because they'll try to talk you out of it because it's not something they're going to do. Okay. 
And the other thing, and this is uh, Kevin Spacey said this once, that he was been if you've been lucky enough to get everything you've wanted out of life, it's your job to send the elevator back down so other people can take the ride up. And that's what I'm doing with Act Two and Beyond and the comedy. You know, I tell people, just come on, let's go do this. And they go, okay. <laughs> good, good info. Fun. And I've got some aluminum siding stock, I can tell you. <laughs> that's the only thing you haven't sold so far. So, uh, yeah. Not that, yeah. It's all about taking control of your future, period. And that's where you guys come in, you know, because nobody thought you were going to live this long. You know, I mean, I'm, I was surprised when I passed 50. Right. <laughs> uh, so act two and beyond, making the rest of your life spectacular. Hey, uh, uh, Gid, where can people get your book? It's on Amazon.com. Just type in Gid Pool or Act Two and Beyond, and it'll pop up. It's and and I, I had them purposely price it. I think at like ten or eleven dollars because I want people to buy it. I don't want a twenty-two dollar book that people. No, just go buy the darn book. <laughs> Give it to somebody. Give it to somebody for Christmas. It'll confuse. Me. <laughs> I know what show's going to get me for Christmas. Yes, right. Yeah. When's your next act? When's your next show? When when can we when uh, can we see you? I can take a cruise, celebrity, September first on the on the eclipse in Alaska. So when you go on yeah. these cruises, oh. how long are they? I mean, are they like a couple weeks? Uh, normally they're ten to fourteen days. You know, we've been to like fifty five countries on a cruise ship doing this. Wow. And do you, yeah. do you perform like every night or every other night, or how does that work? I do my presentations on sea days, and I do my comedy show one night during the cruise. Ah. That's all I'm going to work. <laughs> and then you relax in the rest of the time. And I just walk around yelling to people, get off my yard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, check them out, folks. Uh, Gidpool.com. Gidpool.com. Uh, his book is Act Two and Beyond, Making the Rest of Your Life Spectacular. Gid, has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time. Oh. It's been a delight. You guys have a nice San Diego day. All right. Thank you, you too. Get pool, ladies and gentlemen. Give him and his retirement hustle a hand. If you want to share your retirement hustle on YMYW, email me. Producer Andy Last. You can get me at andy.last at purefinancial.com. That's A-N-D-I dot L-A-S-T at purefinancial.com. And check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for a transcript of this interview and links to Gidpool's website, his event schedule, and his book, Act Two and Beyond, Making the Rest of Your Life Spectacular. Now, the email inbox is near to bursting at the seams, so Juan, Michael, and MS, please listen next week for the answers to your questions. And if you'd care to add to next week's stack, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down, and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air, and send the fellas a voice message or an email right through the website. We have a follow-up question <laughs> from Ross. Uh, this could from, take the rest of the show. It could, from Ventura, California. And he was... Talking about his SEP IRA last week and um, um, creditor protection. Yeah, he wanted to know about uh, like if if there's a lawsuit or bankruptcy, and he's got a SEP IRA. Is it protected, or or what are the rules for protection? Because I guess his feeling is living in California. There's a lot of litigation going yeah. on here. And we made a, 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 a little joke, joke and yeah. saying, ooh, I wonder. He's probably he's his job to, is up probably to, up, to, up to no up good. Up to no good. Yeah. So he writes back. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Oh, thank you yeah. for calling me gentlemen, Ross. Uh, the implication that I was up to no good as a job was not correct. Ooh. Strike a nerve. Yes. I have a SEP IRA in Vanguard, and as such, it has limited contributions. 
Whereas my accountant says I should get a 401k to be able to make greater contributions. I am also concerned with the potential of any lawsuit of any kind in the state where people get sued for anything. I did not know SEP IRA was protected, and based on your show for general purposes, it has limited protection of about $1.3 million in most situations. That is false. A SEP IRA has unlimited protection for bankruptcy, Ross. Yeah, that's what we've learned since the show. Although I will I caveat, we're not attorneys. This is just what Thank we've you. read from a reputable source. Al raised the issue that it may fall into a gray, and I do not want my hard-earned money up for grabs. Vanguard does not have a 401k, so I need to know where I can get the same type of investments under the umbrella of a 401k. Well, stop one second. Vanguard does have a 401k, so I'm not sure why he's saying that. Um, but it would be a solo 401k, Ross. And if you have a solo 401k, it is not an ERISA-protected plan. Um, so, again, you would have unlimited protection, just like the SEP IRA, um, in regards to bankruptcy. So... It doesn't necessarily matter, depending on how much money that you want to put in and how much money Ross makes. Right. So let's say, let's say you get sued and there's a two million dollar judgment. So you have to declare bankruptcy for any sort of protection. Right. But what I'm saying here, the difference between a SEP and a 401k is the same protection. Uh, a solo 401k. The difference between a SEP and a 401k is your contribution limits, where a SEP is based on a percentage of profits, where a solo 401k is just a uh, it's a defined contribution plan. Yeah, and essentially it kind of works this way, that the, the percentage that you can contribute is the same in either plan. It's just the 401k you can do an employee portion as well. Which is is what nineteen thousand dollars yes. in two thousand nineteen. If you're or, under fifty, or twenty five thousand if you're fifty and older. So Ross, you might want to look at a solo four hundred one k through Vanguard. You could put twenty five thousand if you're over fifty, nineteen thousand dollars if you're under fifty. Plus, you could do a profit sharing or an employer match, and you could put up to roughly fifty six thousand dollars in a defined contribution plan this year, depending on your income. So that could be an option for you, and all of that would be protected under bankruptcy. Um, so, he goes on. I have a 500 index fund with all of my funds, which is only a partial diversification of stocks. When the market crashes, everyone crashed. Uh, the more you make, the more you can risk. Many people get out of the market a while back when it went down 20% and lost at the present time as it uh, gone up. I know no one can pre predict the future, at least with continuity. And private investors rarely can uh, best the market. One very wealthy guy, and they sold, and they all sell books and memberships. You wonder which makes them wealthier. Predicted all of the markets up and down in real estate bubble and all, and went against the media direction and did tremendously well. He predicts a 401k Dow, um, a 40k Dow. A melt-up. A melt-up, as he calls it. Anyways, just sharing some thoughts. <clears throat> so, wow, he just kind of threw up all over that. Uh, at the end there. <laughs> I, wasn't yeah, I wasn't sure where he was there's going. There's not, not really a question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, but I think we gave him some, some good yeah, information. So, so there is there is protection. And um, and so I guess the, the basic rule is if it's a SEP or solo 401k, it's not a RISA plan, but you still get unlimited protection from bankruptcy. Uh, if it is an ERISA plan, 
uh, then there is unlimited protection. Yeah, so let's say if you don't want to file bankruptcy is the, the, the issue. Mm-hmm. So then it goes to the state level, and it's like, okay, I don't want to file bankruptcy. I don't want to go through that. And then it really depends on the state level of what is protected and what's not. Because in some instances, they'll say, the courts will say, all right, Alan, your standard of living is X. Even though you probably want to spend more or you save that could provide you a higher income stream, the courts are going to determine what your you know standard of living is. And so they're going to maybe shelter the amount of assets that would provide you with a certain standard of living, and then everything else could be up for grabs if you did not want to file for bankruptcy. So there's different types of credit protection. So we're just talking strictly bankruptcy protection. But if there's other creditors or other things that are going after you that is not under the bankruptcy code, um, then it's going to be on a state-by-state level. So check with your state, I guess. Wow, look at you. Hey, man. Look at that. Closet attorney. That's your yeah. on-care act? I guess I'm not. Yeah, that, that, that's my on-care act. <laughs> uh, this is um, not legal advice or yes, please. whatever else you that's should probably, be saying there. Probably mostly right. Okay. Um, here's uh, Dennis from Coronado. Dennis the Menace, our man, Dennis. Yes, we know Dennis. Yes, we do. We used to work with Dennis. Uh, Joe, can you and Alan provide some guidance on claiming the QBI deduction for taxpayers holding rental properties? I like how he emails me. Yeah. When you were his employer. I know. He worked for me for five years. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's done with me. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, and also Alan. Yes. Can, can you- Joe, hey, can you ask Al <laughs> about the QBI deduction? So um, let's talk about the QBI deduction, Alan. All right. So it's uh, it's Code Section 199, Capital A. It's it's new with the uh, with the Tax Act, uh, the the Tax and Jobs Act, I guess, of 2017. And so here's what it is. It's if you have a, a business, a small business, uh, like a sole proprietorship or a partnership or in an LLC or an S corporation, something that flows through to your individual return, you're allowed to take 20 percent of the net profits and take an extra tax deduction. So in other words, you have 150,000 in revenue, 50,000 of expenses, 100,000 is your profit, that's what you pay tax on, taxes on. This this qualified business income deduction or QBI for short lets you take 20% of that 100,000 as a deduction and so now you only pay tax on $80,000. So that's the concept. So if you're in the 32% tax bracket or lower, this is where the QBI's pretty um, easy to understand. But if you're in the 32% tax bracket or higher, then it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, game. that's a good point. There's there's big phase-outs. And roughly, as a single taxpayer, it's about 160000 or less. You're in the simpler system. Right. <laughs> and for married, it's double that. It's about 420000 and below. You're in the simple. If you're above that, then we, this, it's too hard to explain. It's yeah. too, too many variables. But for, for right now... Uh, Anyway, that's it's just the twenty percent. It's limited to your taxable income, and then the then the big question is, well, I, okay, so qualified business income QBI. So it is does real estate qualify? And as as the code was first written in late two thousand seventeen, it it appeared that real estate would qualify. However, there's always been a question: is real estate a business? Because for it to qualify, it would have to rental real estate would have to be considered a business. And I can honestly say, in thirty plus years of doing this, being a CPA, there's never been clarity on that. Most accountants take the stance that it is a business, but it's not clear. The IRS has never made it clear. <laughs> 
whether a rental property is really a business. And there's some ramifications, which I don't want to get into right now, but because the question is about QBI. Anyway, so what happened was there was a new IRS notice, 2019-07. It just happened this year, Joe. And, and this is uh, basically the IRS came out and said, yes, rental real estate is a business for purposes of this QBI deduction. But then they said this. They said, we're going to we're going to set up this thing called a safe harbor that if you follow these three steps, then you're going to be able to qualify for this deduction. So that's what a safe harbor is. Generally, it means that if you do exactly what we tell you to do, then we're not going to challenge you that this really is a business and you can take the 20% deduction. So the three things that they came up with is, number one, you have to keep separate books and records for each rental property. Well, most people are doing that already, so that's not a big deal. The second one is a little tougher. Uh, for taxable years through 2022, at least 250 hours of services are performed each year for the, uh, the enterprise or for the property. So in other words, you would have to spend roughly five hours a week on your property. And here's the unusual thing. It doesn't have to be you. It can be a property manager. It can be a maintenance person. It can be a gardener. All those hours count. Combined. Combined. So I got a gardener that comes. I have a property manager. I right. have Yeah, repairman or gal, yeah. whatever. You add yeah. up all them. And then yeah. as long as it's five hours a month? Five oh. hours a week. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a little rich. That's a, that's a little rich. <laughs> and, then, and then the third thing is that uh, you have to keep contemporaneous, uh, co- contemporaneous records. Good thing you're reading that. Yeah, good thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> that means a lot. It, it does. Uh, of the hours spent. So in other words, you have to keep a log. I'll put it that way. You have to keep a log. See, that hours. would have been a lot easier. I know. I shouldn't have been <laughs> And I think it. contemporaneous gives the impression that it has to be done as it's happening. You can't do it like at the end of the year, right? Well, you can look it up and tell us. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it. that's what contemporaneous <laughs> means. Anyway, so uh, so you have to keep the records. So according to Andy, as you go. It. As soon as Existing get, or occurring in the same period of time. But so, you, yes. in the same year. Well, I guess there you go. Right? Yes, I suppose. In the same decade. It could right? be, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, so you got to do those three things. So when I, when I read this, it's like, well, if I just have one rental property, I don't think I'm going to qualify probably unless there's a lot of maintenance or something required on that property for that year because it's year by year the 250 hours. Now, if I have more than one property, the IRS says you can group them together. You can aggregate them. And for any of those that know the aggregation rules for passive loss, which is I've lost 95% of our listeners, maybe 99, it's a different aggregation rule. So, But in other words, if I've got four rentals, I can aggregate them together as though I had one rental. And as long as I have 250 hours collectively on those four, then it would be okay. As long as I keep separate records for all four, I spend or somebody spends 250 hours on the four properties, and I keep a log. Then up, you're good to go. Up to date. Yeah, yeah. How many people do you think are going to do that? Keep the log. All the above. Um, I mean, we're. I'm seeing tax returns now come through that took the QBI on rental real estate. Yeah, and the, I guarantee you. Yeah, that but I but here's here's so I'll answer that question. But before I do, the this rule came out in 2019. 19. So basically, the IRS says we're not going to worry about it for 18. Got it. So just do what you will do in 18. 
And they also came out and said, you don't have to do this, but then you have to prove under facts and circumstances that it really is a business. So I don't really know what that means. They didn't really specify. But the better, the smarter thing is to actually do this. Now, how many people actually keep a log? I would say it's like the con- the, the log, I was trying to say the word again. Contemporaneous. Contemporaneous, Contemporaneous. Yes. yes. It's a hard word. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the people that keep those logs for mileage is probably under... Two percent. Yeah, right. Wow. Even though you're supposed to keep it, and yeah. even even on the tax return, it says, uh, "Have what, you kept the log?" And everyone always says yes. Yes. What was your beginning odometer reading? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, twenty-seven thousand. So, so will they actually keep this as they go? I, I doubt it, but they're supposed to. Will they assemble it after the fact? Probably. Even so, though they're not supposed to. So once. If they qualify for all of this, I guess here's the end short of it is that so what? I look, I'll add up my gross rent minus my expenses yes. is going to equal a profit. Correct. All right. Yeah, minus depreciation. So whatever whatever you're paying taxes on. And then this is the confusing and thing. And then when do I take the 20% deduction? When? Where? Aware. Oh, it's, it's it's after it's, all of that. Yeah, it's 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 after taxable income. It's not even on the Schedule E, which is the schedule that you do you show rental properties at. So that QBI deduction is there's a taxable income line after line ten. Yeah, line ten. Yeah, you're good on this, right? And then there's a line eleven is the QBI, and then there's a basically a revised taxable income after QBI. All right. So with because the, the QBI deduction is going to either be based on tax or taxable income or the uh, profits, whichever is l- um, lower. Correct. Okay. And so, but with real estate, so if I had a business, right, and my taxable income was $60,000, but my business income was $80,000, right. I'm going to get the QBI deduction on my taxable income of 60. That's accurate. So 20% of 60. Right. How about if the same thing was true, um, so they're not looking at it like that? So let's say my, my I have 10 different properties or 8 different properties, and it's cash flowing pretty well, so they're not going to look at what that cash flow is from the Schedule E that flows over. They're always going to take it out of taxable income. No, it's the, they look at both, whichever. Oh, so is it's going to be the, it's, it's the same, 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 same. One's on Schedule C, one's on Schedule E, but same calculation. Got it. But I will say, if you have passive losses that are being carried over, so where you don't have to pay taxes on it this current year, it's th- then it would be on no QBI. It's it's lost. It, there's no carryover on QBI. So it's a year by year. It's only what you're paying taxes on that you could take the QBI on. Got it. Whew, so wow. clears my so Mr. Dennis 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 R Dennis R from Coronado, California. There you go. Um, helping you out. We've got more free resources and information on the QBI deduction in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. There's a giant blog post about small business tax filing, and Big Al has an explainer video. Both of those will lay out the basics so that small business owners can be sure they're keeping all of the money that they should be keeping at tax time. And if you're a part of Gen Y or Gen Z, or you're the parent or grandparent of someone who is, you will also find free financial resources for those just getting their financial lives underway, as is the case with these next two questions. Check it all out in the show notes for today's episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. This one is from Andy from San Diego. Oh, okay. All right. 
Uh, do you want to read your own question? <laughs> so I have, a, I have a very dear friend who has a daughter named Kira. Okay. And Kira is about to graduate from high school. All right. So I was wondering if you fellas could provide her some financial advice and some for other graduates as they are about to embark on the rest of their lives. What would you tell High school somebody? or yeah. college? Oh, high school. High school. High school. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so this is so, but you get them like real early on. Yeah. There's so much that someone graduating from high school, I think, needs to learn um, in a real simple terms. Budgeting is one, right? Looking at credit and debt and what, what really that means. FICO scores. What, why is that important? Why it's not important? Or what you should do to, to make sure that you don't fall into certain traps that maybe a lot of people fell into that didn't have just proper personal finance information. Of course, the power of compounding is always really important, too, to look at you know if they save you know, $10 a month, and then they increase that to $20, $30, $50, $100 a month, and they start at 18 years of age, what could that grow to? Um, You know, that's that's really powerful things. So I think I would just start real, you know, at the basic level in our world, but I would say that's fairly advanced in the the real world, Um, where you look at people in their 50s and 60s that that still don't understand the concept of, of budgeting. Or understanding, hey, spend a little bit less than what you make, or pay yourself first, or you know, th- things like that. I think that's where I would go, and and maybe just have a simple type conversation in saying, here's the ABCs of of what you should be taking a look at. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, for instance, was a um, when she got her first job, she's a registered nurse in Minneapolis, and I ran a spreadsheet because we we did this in some sort of I forget some training. And I've seen it in books now with like Rick Edelman and things like that, like Jack and Jill. You know, if they started saving, you know, a thousand dollars a year, you know, and they started at eighteen, and but then Bill and Susan started at thirty, and then so and so started at fifty to get to a certain dollar figure. You mm-hmm. know, the same how much more that the, each couple would have to save. Right. So I kind of went through that example with her, and I said, if you maxed out your you know, a Roth IRA of, I forget the contribution limits back then, by the time, you know, you could save for 20 years and you would be a millionaire by the time you're 60, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that motivated her, you know, so then she's like, oh, I, 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 I'm done with my plan because you told me all I had to do was save this. For 20 and, years. And I was like, no, don't stop. Yeah, keep going. Keep, keep going. going, right? So... Um, yeah, and I and I think uh, I agree with everything you said. Thank and, you. and I'm going to add maybe a couple practical things. Uh I think a lot of uh, high schoolers and college-age kids, they, they don't really quite understand that what credit is and how it works. And, and I would say this, if you can't pay cash for something, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. If you want to use a credit card to build your, your credit and FICO score, and that, that's okay. But just make sure you can pay off that credit card when the bill comes each month because that's where people get into trouble. So that'd be one thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is... We, we know that about half of all Americans can't even afford a $500 car repair. Right. So work towards getting $500 to $1,000 emergency funds as kind of a starting point. You want to add to it as time goes. But be responsible with credit. Have, a, have an emergency fund. And then start investing to the extent that you can because of the compounding of money. And it, it is pretty amazing. And I think, I think a good lesson for young people is to think about whatever you're making, try to get up to, not immediately, but over time, get up to 10% of your salary going into savings and then 15 and then Net it, or gross? Gross. Then, then 15 and then even 20. 20 would be sort of the gold standard. Yeah. Right? If you're making $50,000. Well, Sabatier. 
Sabatier says seventy five percent. Yeah, well then. <laughs> Great. You'd be you know, when I hear you talk. If you can talk, get started early enough to be able to save 75%, yeah, you'll be a millionaire by 40. <laughs> but it's like, you know, when you said that, it's like, you know, just make sure, you know, if you can't afford it in cash, don't put it on your credit card. I remember my dad saying that to me. And I was like, Dad, if I had the cash, I would I wouldn't <laughs> I use would, the credit card. Right. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. Right? And then now you kind of get a little bit older. You're like, yeah, I guess yeah, that makes a little made bit of sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. Full you know circle. What I mean? Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, it's why people like Dave Ramsey do well because so many young people get in trouble with credit. And well, Dave Ramsey does well because he sells very high commissionable products. <laughs> well, there's that And he too. preys on the people. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, got, I got one more question. Okay. Would you suggest somebody that is just getting out of high school, if they don't already have one, should they open a Roth IRA like right away if they've got earned income? Uh, yes. I would say yes. If, if they, yeah. But again, it, it's qualifying, right? Because they, they, they may need the funds for college. Right. Right? So it's probably not necessarily for everybody. But, even but, if, but they but would if have you can access put $10 to it. into it, right? Yeah. And yeah. then you always have access. Paycheck. You have always have access to the money, so it doesn't hurt. You do on a contribution. It, yeah. Right. So it, it, it wouldn't blow up. you up. So yeah. if you put in X amount into a Roth IRA, and then let's say two, two years later, you need the money, I mean, you know. It's probably not the best place to go, but if you needed it, you got it. Yeah, and by the way, so you can pull out the contribution. You yep. just can't pull out the earnings right? right? Yeah. and growth. So and if Kira, you're putting 10 bucks in, yeah, there's not going to be a ton of growth. So no. It's, it's I think you're good. 50 cents. So Kira should basically watch out for her future self. That would be... Yeah. I would take a picture and put like a wig on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, put some wrinkles on her face. There's, there's programs that you can yeah. use yourself. Yeah, just pretend you're 65 and see. And say, you know, I'm ready to retire. And and do do a picture where you're really sad, so you <laughs> yeah, don't want to be sad that and one. Broke. And then a happy one, right? Where you, where look, you're, you, know, you look younger. Yeah, you look like <laughs> happy. You're, you're 35. <laughs> yeah, and living in a mansion. Thank right. you guys for such wonderful advice. Yeah. Let's go to um, all right. Do we go in order here? Julia from San Diego. Sure. So she's a college student. Um, with some money put aside that I intend to invest, looking uh, for where to start. Um, okay, well, I guess, Julia, this is a, what's the money for? Um, and what are you, I guess, what are you trying to do and how much is it? And, you know, that, investing is one thing, but you invest towards a particular purpose or a goal. Yeah, and let me elaborate. If, if this is for, you, you want to save some money to buy a car in a year? Right, or house, or, or you want to save some money so you can rent, uh, you know, rent, rent, have have a better place when you graduate, and and you need like down, not down payment, but the security deposit and and the first month's rent. You want to buy some furniture, well then keep it in cash because you have a short term goal. If this is for retirement, then good for you because hardly anyone in college is thinking that. But if you are and you have some earned income and you can set up a Roth IRA, then go ahead and put that in a in a kind of a stock mutual fund, maybe an S&P 500, maybe a total market USA type fund. Vanguard mm-hmm. has one. Sure. I mean, I think a good place to start is that there's... Um Oh, this is such a tough question when you don't really have a lot of information. But if, if I'm a college student and I'm looking to start investing, where should I go? Um, I would look at a few different sites um, that are geared, like Betterment, for instance. You could kind of, it's an online robo type advisor. Uh, you can just kind of log on and set up an account. You could go to like Acorns. Have you been to Acorns? Have you heard of that? I, I've heard of it from you. I've not been there. So that's kind of a cool site. Where per- personal capital is pretty good. They they kind of it's an aggregation of your assets. Yeah, I, I, Acorns is I think is a, is really good for 
starting um, for, for investors to start out uh, because what the, what they'll do is they kind of round up um, you know your checking account and things like that so if I'm spending something and it's cost me you know 78 cents they might round it up to the dollar and then put that change into an account 20 cents and every time you every time you make a purchase they keep, and then you could put parameters and say yeah. you know with that so it's kind of kind of auto savings yeah yeah, yeah yeah you know like you, you I, I i'm sure everyone out there has this, has some sort of coffee can slash jar slash whatever vase full of quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies right right do you have one of those Al? i do yeah i don't oh, have yeah. much i don't use i don't get cash much anymore so it doesn't change too much but, right but, but right I, you, you kind of put it in there and yeah. then you're been thinking, in the closet for years I, i've probably got 300 or 400 dollars in there right yeah. and i'm like okay well and some days i'm gonna buy one of these you know because you can't bring that thing you would have to go to the grocery the, right. the one of the grocery stores where yeah. you dump your thing in so before they had those machines <laughs> you, had to roll you would have to yourself. roll yourself yes, i had to roll them yeah, I, take the, him to the bank. Right. So, because it, it's kind of that concept. It's like, okay, well, here, you know, that, that change adds up yeah. over time. Right. And so that's their concept is that, all right, well, depending, and then you can buy, you know, fractional shares of stock or, or whatever. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of really cool um, investment platforms. Yeah. And, so, and by the way, some of the banks do that. Of course, then they want it to put it into their own savings account. Sure, sure. And you don't make a ton of money on those, but at least you're starting saving. And then, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a variety of things. You can always you know, go to the Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade. They're very low cost discount. Uh, but I think... You know, if I am a college student, depending on what my knowledge is of personal finance, depending on what I'm really trying to do, how much I want to save, I might, you know, want to start at, at, at some of those easier sites to make it just automatic, out of sight, out of mind, and then you can start with a very low amount. On the other hand, if it's a little bit, you know, a higher dollar figure, um, who knows? I mean, then maybe you go to Vanguard or a full service um, advisor. So appreciate you hanging out with us today. We'll be back again next week with another phenomenal show. Well, yes, there are derails at the end of today's episode. How did you know? What's that you say? Because the fellows are so good at getting sidetracked? Well, you have a point there. Special thanks to today's guest, Gid Poole. Visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for links to Gid's website and his book, Act Two and Beyond, making the rest of your life spectacular. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the YMYW love. You really do have no idea how much it means to us and how much it helps us when you do. Find all the links you need. You know where they are. Say it with me now in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, just click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Having some fun. We had Gib Pool. Gid. <laughs> Gid Pool. Like, what the hell kind of a name is Gid? I'm by imagining the way? it's short for Gideon. Gideon? Um, all right. I'm, I, what, what did you just say? Gig? Gib. 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 So it's so Gib. Like, I don't know. Gib. I know. Call him Gil. Gib. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get it right. Um, See, uh, this. Now you know what, why. It, see, as you get older. Well, yeah, it's not. It's, his name is Gid. Sorry, <laughs> like, Gid Pool. Sorry, Gil. <laughs> yeah, that's that reminded me of me. Yes, yes. I'm not even gonna put <laughs> <Leanne>. it down. <laughs>
that was well, we, Saunders. I think we deleted that, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. There anyway. A, there was a couple of others. <laughs> yeah, there was a spectacular one I remember in the studio. You'll never let me forget that one. Got so it, what? Got I got a question for you, Joe. Yes. What, what's, uh, what do you think your act two and beyond is going to be? I'm going to go on a cruise ship. Cruise ship yeah, and uh, <laughs> entertain? Stand up? I don't. I don't know. I you, think you I could, would. Hey, you could be a stand-up. Oh, I could see that. Sure. I don't think I could be a stand-up, but I think you could. I, don't, oh, I, I know you cannot. Yeah, be a that's what I said. <laughs> I don't think I can. In fact, let me rephrase that. I can't. <laughs> Maybe you just need to take a class. It, yeah. it, it, I would like to see what these stand-up comedian classes are all about. Yeah. I, I think on a lark. Yeah, I on might a lark. Just, maybe you'll I, take one. I might just do maybe that. take one at Gids. Yeah, Gids. Gids. Does he teach a, a yeah. comedy yes. class? Yes, he, he does. does. It's uh, on I the cruise. In, well, so, and he also actually teaches at a theater in Venice, Florida. So anyway, you're going to take the class, and yeah, I was going to take an improv class with um, Susan and Danny. Oh, you were a couple of years ago. For what reason? We just stumbled into this on a lark. On a, on a lark, <laughs> we walked into this improv. It was the most uh, god awful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Right. You know. Okay. So it didn't. It didn't uh, speak to you. I don't know. It, it. It seemed like they were mimes talking. Okay. You know, like over acting on everything. Yeah. Oh, I'm eating a sandwich. <laughs> you know what I mean? Got it. it was that just, required video. And yeah. it was like, that. <laughs> I'm not going to do improv. Not, not going to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, so people would throw, you know, something out in the audience and then yeah. they would try to do something. Talking to Gid, he just, when he talks, he's just funny. Some people are just funny when they talk. We, we've got a, a guy, Jason Thomas. Yeah, he's he's funny when he starts talking. Yeah, and, and, until we put him on the show. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then he's not awful. He's then he freezes up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, he's really funny until you put him in front of a camera, a microphone, <laughs> or an audience. <laughs> Maybe that's why he gave up comedy. Yeah, that could be. Here's a a real estate coach. She's like, I coach the best real estate agents in Southern California, and they're multimillionaires and everything else. And you know, I know all the secrets and everything. And I was like, well, why are you doing it? And she's like, well, no, I'd much rather coach. And I was like, okay. So you, you give up the millions. <laughs> yeah, so she's, you know, of course, she's in credit card debt for buying all these right. books and going on these retreats it's, to become a really good coach. And Yes, we are uh, uh, not we, very uh, successful. We have seen our share of those kind of people. Yeah. We? And, yes. they, and they come to us and they say, uh, Joe and Al, I'm going to be making about a million dollars next year. <laughs> yes. So what kind of tax planning? <laughs> what are you making now? Well, about 14000 <laughs> Remember the one guy that came in? I got the biggest retirement account you've ever seen. And we, we looked set by area. How much is it? Six thousand. I go, wow, that's real. That's really good. Yes. You remember that guy, yes. the old Spice guy? The old Spice guy. Yes. Oh my God. Oh. That was the early days of pure financial. Oh my goodness gracious. He was. He was. Uh, they had built up such a big story, and we saw him. We go, God, this guy—he was probably the old Spice guy, really good-looking, older guy. Oh, he's good—he's got him made. What do you, what do you got? Six thousand? What's your job? I help out at a daycare. You remember that? I'm an assistant manager of, a, of, of Lydia's daycare. Yeah, something that was—that was too much. Yeah. Anyway. 
So here's <laughs> yeah, but, the best. Yeah, but I will be making a couple million dollars <laughs> right. soon. We do get that <laughs> soon.